I'm Brian Foster, and this is the Grindhouse Institute. On each episode of this podcast, Jeremy Floyd and I program a triple feature movie night. Each of the movies share common themes, and we discuss them here. We're happy you could join us for today's block we call Anime 101. Anime is a style of Japanese film and television animation that began in the early 20th century. Animators and artists as early as the 1910s were experimenting with several different styles of animation, but it wasn't until the 1970s that the art form developed into what we see in more recent iterations. Series such as Gundam, Macross, and Dragon Ball were all released around this time, but it wasn't until the following decade that they would see their full potential. The 1980s and the VHS revolution catapulted anime into the mainstream. Popular series were repurposed for theatrical release, creating a massive boom for the industry. Influential films and their successes gave extra prestige to anime and allowed for creators to take on more experimental and ambitious projects, even allowing them to build entire animation studios that are still in operation today. After the assassination of his son, Leonard Dawson is determined to hunt down his son's killer by any means necessary. Consumed by revenge, Dawson enlists a rogues gallery of U.S. national security assassins to take out the infamous Duke Togo in the 1983 film The Professional, Gogo 13. It has been 1,000 years since the seven days of fire and the world is now being consumed by an expansive toxic jungle, unfit for human life. It will take the young princess to bring peace back to the ravaged and brutal planet. Hayao Miyazaki adapted and directed 1984's Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. In 2019, Neo-Tokyo is on the brink. Clown biker gangs, revolutionaries in the streets, brutal army repressions, and psychic kids all at the center of it. As the city collapses, a powerful force is unleashed onto the world, one that cannot be contained. Katsuhiro Otomo directs the 1988 classic Akira. Thank you for listening to the Grindhouse Institute. Please enjoy. Ceramic double rotor two-wheel drive. Man, it even has computer-controlled anti-lock brakes. 12,000 RPMs. Is that you again, Tetsuo? That pea brain. That bike's been designed just for me. It's too much for a kid like you. Yet another village is dead. Soon this place too will be consumed by the toxic jungle. All right, welcome back to the Grindhouse Institute. I'm Brian Foster. With me as always is Jeremy Floyd. Hello, and how are you? I was going to say something in Japanese, and then I forgot everything. I no could, way. I you were really, remember. you thought of some <laughs> Japanese for this one? No, but I... Uh, all I can think of is to say is uh, arigato. There you go. That Very works. Nice. <laughs> Domo arigato. <laughs> yeah. um, if you haven't guessed today, we are going to be looking at uh, Japanese films, specifically the anime of the 80s. I think the code name for this one has been tossed around as Animates. Uh, that just sounds fun to me. Uh, we're going to be looking at three films from the beginning of the 80s, uh, one of them being probably one of the most popular um, and most well-known, I'd say, arguably. Um, but we are looking at today uh, a Miyazaki film called Narsica of the Valley of the Wind and another one called The Professional Golgo 13, um, which was based on a uh, series of manga books. Um, this was one of my favorites growing up, so I had to put this one on the list. And then we are watching Akira. Yeah, um, I think, uh, like I said on another episode i i never really got into anime very much uh i wasn't as aware of um uh, some of this stuff as as i should have been I, i'd seen a couple of miyazaki films i'd seen akira back in the day and robot carnival vampire hunter d vampire hunter d mm-hmm. lensman uh <laughs> And uh, maybe the, that Daft Punk, uh, you know, anime album they had. <laughs> yeah, that counts. Does that count? Okay, good. It definitely counts. I think the Matrix animated one counts, too, that came out when the movie was released. Uh, you know, it's funny. I never made it through that one. Uh, Neither did I. I watched, I. Like, like, one of the, the sequences. Maybe that'll be something we can watch later. Yeah. And and there's sort of no reason for it, necessarily. I just, I never really got into it. Um, it's funny watching Akira, you know, when I watched it, in I don't know what 
elementary school. Uh, oh, wow. Like Same. Yeah, I was very young, in English. too. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, so it was, it was really cool watching it in sort of the original Japanese with uh, subtitles. I agree. Um, and surprisingly, this one was found on Hulu um, in its original form. Um, with the original Japanese voice acting and everything, and I was I was shocked to find it there. Um, and surprisingly enough, I found all of these on uh, streaming services I'm already part of. This is the first time I didn't have to either <laughs> have you go search for them, upload the films so I could watch them, or find them and buy them somewhere. Um, so that that was good. This was you know a cheaper episode, if you will, <laughs> yeah. or at least it's a regular cost that I incur monthly. Yeah, built in. So these three films. In many ways, they could not be more different from each other. However, they all share a, a similar um, theme that they all came out in the in the early 80s, um, 80s being that um, era when anime in the in the in the film form and the theatrical form started really coming about. Um, this is when mm-hmm. um, the major animation studios in Japan, like you mentioned, Studio Ghibli or Miyazaki, um, that's when he started his company in um, seeing the successes for, you know, at this time, 40 years of success for things like Disney. This is Japan's answer to that. If we go back in time a little bit, we can go back to uh, post-World War II, um, specifically in 1948, um, when the first uh, animation studio was uh, created called Toei. They came out with some of the very first um, animated shorts at that time or animated um, films, um, Shonen, Saratubi, Sasuke, uh, which was made in 1959, and that was brought to the U.S. in 1961. Um, unfortunately, at that time, you know, even those movies were brought to American audiences. They didn't have the splash that things like uh, Kurosawa's films did. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when American audiences really started taking notice of uh, Japanese cinema um, in the 60s, was when the animation block started becoming extremely popular, um, both in Japan and in the U.S. Um, from the 60s, uh, you've got Astro Boy, um, which was an adaptation of a manga. And then you've also got Speed Racer. Those were the two American versions, and I'm sure people you know, know those names as well. But mm-hmm. those were you know, original Japanese cartoons that had much different content, much different dialogue, and were completely redubbed and re-edited for American audiences. Oh, that's interesting. Now, the, the mangas they're based on, I saw uh, about Nausicaa and Akira that the directors of the animated films were also sort of the you know, creators of the manga. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that the case with sort of the Astro Boy and, and that world there? I believe that that's how that happened, but I don't know for sure. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, when it comes to uh, Nausicaa and it comes to Akira, um, those were both created by the original no, creators no, or no. the original creators had a hand in developing those for a larger cinematic theatrical presence. Mm-hmm. Um, I see. So, yeah, I, um, it was very exciting to watch these, especially uh, the professional Golgo 13 again, because uh-huh. um, I haven't seen that since I was a kid. Um, I didn't remember there being that much gratuitous sex in it. Um, it kind of <laughs> came on as TV. A... It was uh, edited a little differently. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I know I had the like the VHS, but it it was dubbed in English, and I'm wondering if a lot of that stuff was taken out because it is a highly sexualized graphic film. <laughs> yeah, I I got the like uh, from from the misses like, what the hell are you watching? I, Brian's I'm... making you watch a uh, hentai. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. It kind of kind of resembled that hentai uh, subculture or a uh, subgenre of anime of like porn anime basically. Um yeah. Yeah, it got pretty bad in, in in points but still a very uh interesting movie. Well and it, and it had that really uh you know 80s like bluesy, synthy bluesy uh you know softcore music. <laughs> <laughs> His kill music was absolute porn music. And it was that same like burder burder. Uh but yeah, it was very yeah. very very interesting. But again, the the animation and the uh you know, the work and, and, and craft that goes into these things is just so in, in, in incredible. Um, and you really do feel like you're, you know, like definitely in the middle of it, you don't no longer feel like you're watching a cartoon anymore. You know, it really becomes mm-hmm. somewhat of a, of, of a film and you really like latch onto it, especially with Akira. Yeah, especially that, that sort of opening, call it 10 minutes of, of Akira or whatever. It's It really, really hooks you in. Yeah, you're right. Um, I definitely noticed that Golgo animation wise was was odd man out i mean it it was 
deliberately a mixed medium right uh with the sort of you know i guess traditional anime those like you know still sort of paintings that they would kind of like zoom in on Mm -hmm. and then of course the sort of early cgi (laughs) yeah which is so nuts to see in a movie from 1983 yeah exactly that's 10 years before jurassic park and all this right like right when you start to see it coming into the movies and it being like one of these things where it then becomes just part of everyone's expected movie diet yeah Yeah, it's funny, like, in that opening, because it, you know, he's either, you know, fucking or, you know, assassinating someone from a hundred yards uh, in like throughout the entire movie. So I was going to say, it's like, in that shot where he's killing somebody, it's like, oh, yeah, well, that, that doesn't narrow it down. Definitely. But um, the, in the opening assassination, there is this shot of the gun being loaded yeah. from sort of underneath, like, the camera looking up at the gun. Almost that exact same camera angle was in the killer. Oh, uh, the uh, the John Woo, the killer. Um, and then you know, of course, uh, some of the stuff that this guy is doing also kind of reminds you of of the killer a little bit. Although in the John Woo one, uh, they you know tries to humanize the killer a little bit as opposed to have him be, uh, you know, in this movie just a Terminator, I guess. Like, yeah, that's what I was going to bring that up. Even when he's. Uh... In the sexual situations he's in, he doesn't make a sound. <laughs> he doesn't move. He doesn't. doesn't he's move. a robot. His face, like yeah, exactly. It's like almost like the Terminator Two. He doesn't say much. He's completely laconic all the time. Um, you know, his, his face is totally impassive. Uh, you, you don't know if he's being bored on a commute somewhere, or <laughs> uh, you know, sitting on a toilet, or assassinating someone, or having uh, several people beg him to lay pipe. Because, you know, he just has the same face no matter what. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> it never changes. It must, that must have been really easy for the animators just to animate yeah. his face. Because <laughs> just leave the yeah, same maybe, look on his face. Maybe that's where they're, they're saving uh, frames. Yeah. It's like, well, we'll just keep repeating the same frame of Golgo's face. <laughs> or, or was that his name? Was it his name Golgo? Duke, Duke Togo oh, is yeah. his name. Wait, was that ever said? Because yeah. they, they, they're like, well, we don't know his name. We don't know his name. But they keep calling him Golgo? Uh, or G. Or G, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but his name is Duke Togo. Duke Togo. So this was based on, again, an, uh, a manga uh, long series. And I think that that series um, is still going. Um, or at least it like went on a long hiatus and then came back last, last summer. So, I mean, this was like 60 years, I think, this manga has been going on. I mean, a lot of these have gone oh, on forever and then have had, you know, video game adaptations, movie adaptations, both live action and um, in animation. And it's just... These things were like so popular, and if you go, I don't know if you've ever been to Japan, but but these you know bookstores that in Japan are just loaded with full collections of things. And I actually saw mm. the Golgo Thirteen full set that was in a window. I mean, it would have cost <laughs> me. A I think like, year set. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it was just this beautiful thing that they had set up, and all of the um, the spines of all the books had a different piece of an image and they all went together. It was incredible. I mean, it would have been great for my bookshelf, but I didn't want to spend, you know, five grand or whatever on the, on the set, you know, that's 50,000 yen. (laughs) Another $50,000 on that bookshelf you have to buy. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I wouldn't have the bookshelf yet then. (laughs) I did want to talk about, uh, some of the, the Miyazaki film, the Narsica of the Valley of the Wind. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you watched the same version I did on HBO max. So this was a re-release from two, uh, that came out in 2005 when, the, okay. uh, when Disney kind of re-dubbed uh, some of the language with popular actors. Um, and that's why all uh-huh. of a sudden you've got Patrick Stewart, which right. I had to look up when I started hearing this guy talking. I was like, really? That's the one you had to look up? Jeez. I, I, what about Uma Thurman or some of those? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I you know, rented the, the Blu-ray for that. And, um, but yeah, by default... When you hit play, it plays the the English version, and you know the first, you know whatever it is, like five minutes of it is, is pretty silent. They're just kind of he's, you know, navigating this uh, you know, sort of dead world, and then he he says something in in English, and I was like, oh, that's weird. And then and then uh, continues talking. And it's oh, that's Patrick Stewart. What the hell? <laughs> like, and then I had to switch it over to to Japanese because it it um, yeah by default went to English. Yeah, I didn't have that option. Uh, how okay. I watched it, it was just on HBO Max. I, I, that'd have been that's a really cool feature to put in a in a in an anime though, 
or at least any international film that's on one of these streaming services is to to choose. I wonder if I missed that as an option, but that would be really interesting. Maybe, yeah. But I I, I love that uh, Patrick Stewart uh, was playing Wilford Brimley in this with a giant <laughs> mustache. <laughs> and again, no, no, because of that giant mustache, not a lot of expression needed on his face. Um, but mm. at the moments when he would shine in that movie was when he, because he was a sword master. And that kind of came out of nowhere when he would walk into a building, people would be like, oh, the master of swords. And then he just whoops on some people by the end of the film. And it was like some of the greatest um, animation and action I've seen. Like it was really well done and those really cool sword fights. Um, this one was, was exciting. These were all, well, at least Akira and this one, this is a pretty long film. Yeah. You know, not that it totally felt long. I think Nausicaa probably felt a little longer than Akira. Um, in terms of like pacing and things, because I thought Akira just zipped by at a at a great clip. I don't know pacing wise. I I felt like Nausicaa just moved really really well. I I wasn't uh, mm-hmm. it it wasn't dragging. I think Golgo, the shortest one of them, actually felt the longest to me. Yeah, you know Nausicaa moved really well. You know Akira too, but I, I guess also um, there there was a point I think in Akira where we were sort of handing off from following the Kaneda character to following the Tetsuo character. And, you know, it just kind of like sags there. And then there's this like, you know, round table of, you know, diplomats and things, uh, chitting and chatting. There's a whole subplot about this guy funding the revolutionaries and that guy's demise. And then like this like plot with a coup and all this. Right. Anyway, all that stuff, like I feel like, uh, you know, you're like, whoa, wait a minute. What story are we following here? And it didn't have the same forward momentum as Nausicaa did in the sense that, like, in that, it, it was very, very clear what story we're following. Yeah. And, and we're, we're constantly wanting to find out what happens next type of thing. I, I, I thought that um, um, the, the creativity yeah. in Nausicaa, the, the, again, the craft that goes into that, that, that whole in, initial intro that we get of Nausicaa out in the radioactive jungle or the poison jungle. I forgot what they, how mm-hmm. they called that. Right, right. Um, but she was, you know, in full gas mask, but you know, talking to herself. And I mean, you find out later that this could be an earth, right? It's just way in the future, you know, when, when humanity has said, or humanity has basically had to go underground or in these small villages because nature has taken back over because we've basically blown ourselves to shit. Right, right. The uh, toxic jungle, I think is what you're... The toxic jungle. Right, Thank and, you. and the idea is that uh, we created um, the, what were they called? The seven... The giant killers, yeah. And and those things essentially went through and sort of destroyed the world. But, you know, also like the idea is that it looks like most of this world was uh, being uh, destroyed through the, the poisons and whatever else. And I mean, I I, th- I took that as a metaphor of nuclear weapons and uh, ma- weapons of mass destruction, right? Yeah. And, you know, um, environmental uh, catastrophe mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the type of uh, poisoning that uh, happens uh, pretty regularly. Yeah, um, good message in this one. In this film, it's sort of like uh, after all of that, that, you know, after all the giant warriors and, you know, after everything is kind of like falling apart, this is like the world sort of rebuilding itself. And there are some humans left over in that world. What looks like starting over on the course right. of uh, the, the way uh, civilizations and things like that, you know, sort of evolved in our current world, which is like they were kind of at this sort of medieval stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, plus, plus some new tech. You know, yeah, yeah, tanks and planes yeah. and stuff like that. So, and a really so, badass so, glider. Some some leftover, uh, you know, uh, common knowledge. Or what's it called? A uh, shared knowledge. Right. Yeah. I mean, it it was fascinating. I I you know really enjoyed this movie, and it was like such a great like adventure film. Mm-hmm. Um. And yeah, I I think this one and and definitely with Akira, you know, there's a lot of uh, sort of an extended metaphor about, you know, um, nuclear weapons and the sort of uh, not just the direct effects that those have, but also the sort of poisoning effects they have on, you know, everyone's like uh, frame of mind and everything else. And in this movie, it was this great little, you know, parable, moreover, about sort of the, you know, destructive nature of reactionary thought. Right. Uh, Essentially, the only creature that we were presented with who wasn't a reactionary was Nausicaa. Right. And through her empathy and sort of selflessness, uh, she made the world a lot better. Mm-hmm. And, and, th- and that's sort of like how it how it comes together. So as usual, Chrissy watched um, one of the movies of the three. Uh, in this uh-huh. one, she participated in Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. 
And um, by the middle of the movie, her, she looked at me and she goes, Nausicaa's like the nicest person ever. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, she she is she is a real hero. Um, and yeah. I, I, I thought that she really embodied, you know, she felt different from every other character. She stood a little bit higher and, and taller than every other character. She had great lines, great action, um, a great through line. Um, she you know, she went through like the entire journey and I, I thought it was really fun to follow that. Um, and it really ends spectacularly. I mean, there's yeah. a huge, huge, um, that end battle with all the bugs or the ohms, um, coming mm-hmm. out to, yeah. yeah, I mean, just incredible stuff. Um, it's a Miyazaki film created from Miyazaki's work. Um, uh-huh. but this is what actually was the foundation of studio Ghibli. I don't think it was a studio Ghibli film at the time. But this ultimately no, put not. that on the map. Yeah, I mean, I it seems like this is what was able to let him, uh, or sort of allowed him the uh, the clout to start uh, his uh, production company. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's where you get like you know Spirited Away and uh, Totoro and all that stuff. Yep. I think more so than <laughs> uh, Totoro or Spirited Away or, or some of the other movies that he's known for. This one is definitely a, a tougher subject matter in the sense that, like, one would want the world to act like Nausicaa, but uh, it seems to act like everyone else in that world. You know? Right. That's I think that you um, put that perfectly. Everyone should be a Nausicaa. <laughs> Maybe that should be the yeah. next big big push in America. Be a Nausicaa. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I really, really love that moment where she sort of, like, and this is sort of the second time we see her do this, but, you know, she's on her glider, and she's trying to stop that the torture of the little ohm was like you know hanging from that uh, hot air balloon basket mm-hmm. uh without the balloon you know that thing yeah uh and she keeps trying to talk to them that are shooting at her uh, she makes several passes and is you know maneuvering and whatever and then like at, at one point she just kind of comes at them directly with her arms outstretched and you know uh the, the guy behind the gun you know like hesitates it was just such a great moment of like you know being able to like push through the sort of again like fear-based uh you know violence-based and you know reactionary motivations of those characters uh and, and they found a, a really interesting way that wasn't like a total uh deus ex machina mm-hmm, right to 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 get her to, to uh to break through to those characters um she did have kind of a, a big um messiah moment though at the end um she does mm-hmm. you know in essence die and the ohms do bring her back, right? Everyone thought she was dead. I, she was just in the middle of the pile. She died, and, the, and they they brought her back. But like, yeah, it 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 just it looked like she wasn't going to be able to get out of that. But when they and lift then, her up and she's right. basically floating above them, I was like, okay, this is great. <laughs> yeah. She's dead, Obaba. She's dead. The princess has quieted the rage of the ohm. She gave her life to save the valley. I thought that this was extremely violent for being such a beautifully animated film, but they they showed the violence in a really, you know, classy way. You know, mm-hmm. there was there was still some killing, there were still some things like that, but it really worked. And I think this would would work as a Disney film. It almost would work, you know, and it would kind of toe the line of too much violence for you know that PG thirteen or R rating, but still it kind of falls into that animated, like very nice looking beautifully uh, colored and everything um, style. Yeah, well, and also because it has sort of um, a more optimistic ending than I'd say either of the other two movies we watched. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, and, and in that sense, it, it kind of, you know, uh, fits better into that Disney mold. But you're right. I, I think, you know, they didn't shy away from, you know, in that scene I was just describing, like when she gets, she gets, she does have her arms out and they, they do hesitate, but they end up shooting her. Now they yeah. don't kill her, but um, she does get wounded, and it's not just um, an, an inconvenience or you get get knocked back no. or something. No, no, it's it's like you know she's actually you know cut and hurt and you know and bleeding, <laughs> bleeding and not able to stand as much and like and then and she's getting sort of pushed into that you know toxic sludge puddle, right? Trying to prevent that the ohm that the little the the miniature ohm from uh, hurting itself further that toxic sludge you know hurts her wounds and it's you know it, it, it is they don't shy away from that stuff and and that part of it i think would be too probably too much for the pixar the disney world right uh, you know uh, of animation um and then the type of you know g-rated stuff that they would want to put out right but in other respects like it has those kinds of like you know 
good messages and mm-hmm. you know the kind of like sort of positive outlook on things that one would expect from you know kind of disney stuff like perspective wise but but not necessarily like style wise yeah as opposed to the end of gogo 13 where he <laughs> might have he might have gotten shot and killed and no one really knows um yeah um that's it's a very ambiguous ending oh uh Sorry, no, one, yeah. one thing I wanted to say about that Golko yeah, yeah. uh, that I had forgotten about was that uh, it was interesting watching it because most of the characters are Italian that we're, we're following. <laughs> right. Uh, and that he's, at one point, you know, the, the sort of mafia boss, she describes him as like Oriental. Right. Uh, or yeah. something like that, right? Doc, but, Dr. Z. Know, at the very beginning, it's like, ooh, a nationality unknown or whatever, right? Now, everyone's speaking Japanese. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, this Italian woman and, you know, all of the, 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 uh, the like, bishop, you know, <laughs> the, the bishop, all these people, um, like <laughs> they're all speaking Japanese as well. Uh, and, but it's like a big deal that this guy is a uh, quote oriental. Right. Um, but it, it, it is this thing that like, you know, we're so used to having, uh, the sort of, uh, a marrow, centric look on things. But it is shocking in a way to see it from the from another perspective. So in this case, the Japanese perspective. Uh, an, another good example of something like this is um, the Costa Gavras film uh, *State of Siege*, which mm-hmm. you know takes place in an unnamed uh, South American country, um, and sort of the only hint they give uh, of what country it is is that the uh, CIA overthrew the government. So that pretty much narrows it down. Um, <laughs> And instead of everyone speaking Spanish down there, they were speaking French because it was a French film. Right. And watching it, it feels kind of bizarre, the same way that Golgo feels a little bizarre. And yet, you know, again, with sort of our uh, the way, way we end up seeing things in movies, we don't bat an eye when everyone speaks English in Schindler's List, right? It's like, exactly. It's just like one of those things. Exactly. Yeah. Or, yeah. or Tom Cruise starts speaking German in that one. Yeah. <laughs> Right, or Valkyrie. And Valkyrie, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, but I think that we did see basically a, a flashback from, you know, a gangster film in that scene where he's talking about his wife and his, um, you know, whole, or I'm sorry, not his wife, but the whole family that he was with, uh, the children, mm-hmm. everyone just got gunned down in that, you know, drive-by shooting from Dr. Z, the gangster. Uh-huh. Um, but... You know what it looks like on screen is you know the Godfather when he when he when he when Michael heads to Italy and he's in that scene you know like with oh, right, you know right. in the restaurants and things like that but you know they are speaking Japanese and there is that like no totally you're you're totally right it, it's it's odd that we I don't know like me as a me as an American I guess I, I was expecting to hear Japanese with an Italian accent or maybe that would <laughs> put it together I don't know right you'd expect like um, okay you know if they're in a place where they're in Italy, and they're speaking with the Italian natives. Okay, you'd expect them to all be speaking Italian, or you'd still be reading it because uh, it's still right. good subtitles. But like, still wouldn't understand yeah, it. it. It it has this extra quality of of like uh, ah, I don't know how to process this. Um, when again, like just sort of like uh, ironically, it's like <laughs> we we do that all the time with American movies. Uh, wh- one other quick thing I wanted to say about Gogo was that like in the very opening. Uh, of the sort of title sequences, uh, right as the sort of songs kicking off, we see him walking down the street, and there are these like you know five little stages of him sort of freeze framing as he's walking down the street. Yeah, like, it's sort of like these the slits, different little yeah. uh, slits in the screen. Exactly, mm-hmm. that sequence really reminded me uh, just sort of the way his face was, and and as it turns out, his face was through the entire movie. Uh, you know, very uh, very still and very you know sort of statuesque, like it very much reminded me of the uh, way they presented everything in Les Samurai, uh, uh-huh. the sort of uh, the, the Melville film, um, which again sort of ties back into the killer a little bit because, you know, uh, he was a huge influence on uh, on John Woo. He did those like individual slices of, of video. M- more so just that like in that movie, um, what's his name? Alan DeLon uh, just... Uh, was completely laconic. He barely spoke, and his face was like you know totally stoic almost all the time. And you know there was something about that that montage that sort of like reminded me of that. And I, I'm sure that's what they were going for. And it, and it is very similar to Les Samurai, which is that like you know we don't get to know much about the main character in Les Samurai, and it's the same deal 
here in uh, in Golgo, where we, we don't get to know much about them, but like not at all. He's just oh, he's he's just a badass, and like uh, age unknown, ethnicity yeah. <laughs> unknown, name unknown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Um, oh, and how much did that building remind you of Nakatomi Tower? Yeah, or, exactly. Guess, it must have been this. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it felt exactly like that. Were, they weren't in LA, were they? No, they were in they were in Tokyo by the end, I believe. Yeah, I think you're right. By the end, they were. I, so I think they were in New York at one point. They were yeah. in Italy at one point. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he took out Roboto um, in um, in New York. <laughs> right. And I, I think they went to San Francisco at one point. Anyway. But okay. Yeah, it's it's a it's a uh, global film, man. This is a, there's a lot to get done in in the 90 minutes that that was on <laughs> right. screen. Duke Togo had places to be. Well, and, and, and in that sense, it was kind of uh, James Bondian, and the, you know, because they often travel for those movies. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that this is definitely um, inspired by James Bond. Um, mm-hmm. However, it's missing the the humor or the uh, lightheartedness that James Bond uh, can yeah. bring. Yeah. Right. But the- the, the movies often have is yeah that, that sort of lighter touch yeah <laughs> yeah this yeah even though it might have as much killing and sex as this movie does yeah. it actually ha- does it with like a smile you know right 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 oh uh, yeah this isn't it, this it, is actually it's fun. allowing you to have fun with it yeah exactly as opposed to like, <laughs> the way this one was presented yeah yeah rewatching this I think that this was um, back in the day when I was younger watching this it was one of those cool Japanese cartoons, man, that had violence and sex and swearing mm-hmm. and all that. And now I'm looking at it, I'm like, eh, it's not my favorite. Um, definitely not my favorite of the three that we watch. I think that mm-hmm. that does belong to Nausicaa. Um, however, rewatching Akira, um, I didn't remember much of it. Like you said, you saw it in elementary school. I think yeah. I was in elementary <laughs> school as well. Probably the wrong time to watch that movie because um, there's a lot going on in that movie. Right. Well, the the edited for TV version uh, took a little of the edge off, but yeah, it it so it was. It's brutal. Interesting noticing some of those things uh, this time around. Uh, just just excellent. Um, I, I I you know I, I didn't remember the story too well. All I remembered were were, were two guys yelling Tetsuo and Kaneda at each other um, when <laughs> yeah. I originally saw it. Um, Kaneda. I I want to bring up there was a scene um, by the end. I mean as. You know, not going to spoil anything from the 80s, um, but Tetsuo becomes, you know, the energy of Akira and it takes over his body and it becomes this large mass of well, bone. And well, the thing was that I wanted to bring up was uh-huh. even in an animated film, there's a look that Tetsuo gives and he kind of looks at Kaneda from the ground as he's like expanding and he can't control it. Uh-huh. And it looks so human. And it really like yeah, hit me hard. Like it was, yeah. you could, they really captured the emotion of an animated character. You know, like it was, it was really brilliant. Canada, help me, please. That's true. I and, and that part of the movie in particular, you know, was the stuff that stuck with me the most. Um, sure. Was you know just and 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 it is such a. Uh, very climactic uh, end to the movie. From my memory of it, yes, he Tetsuo kind of becomes Akira in the end or whatever. But watching it this time, it seems as though that's not the case. That like sort of the sort of three uh, precogs or whatever the they precogs. Were. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> uh, uh, sort of called forth uh, the bits of uh, of Akira and and, and uh, were able to sort of bring him back to help uh, sort of counteract the uncontrollable growth of you know the the tetsuo uh sort of monster that was coming uh, that was, uh, exploding out of himself he couldn't control that power yeah. basically yeah and, and then they sort of like brought akira back to kind of uh you know swallow that whole thing up is sort of how i was understanding it and then they then all three of the the um the precogs or whatever they were <laughs> went in to try and rescue kaneda Right, they had they had to rescue him because he was in the middle of the madness. Uh huh. And they're like, um, it's not his fault. Let's go get him. Exactly. I think the yeah. three of us could, uh, yeah, contain this or whatever. So, <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. I I I'm still a little unclear, and, and maybe my reading of it is is wrong. But yeah. Tetsuo, what happened to him? Is he dead? I don't know. 
Yeah, this one um, didn't do uh, that well in the theaters when it was released. Um, but at that time, and this kind of goes for a lot of those uh, anime at the time, um, the home video revolution really brought a lot of this to to you know to homes, and so that's where this movie really got its popularity was after the theater and and on VHS, um, as well as you know that a lot of other films. But then that's when that big boom happened when VHSs were coming out of the woodwork, basically. Did it help that like it also kind of got uh, dubbed into English and and brought into the American market, or was it like that? You're saying that like the the Japanese home video market uh, helped kind of keep it afloat as in the popular imagination. So 88 um, in Japan, Toho films uh, from Godzilla. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They released Akira. um, And then the following year. So it's almost a day and day, but a year later they had a, the American release came out that was redubbed. I don't think it did as well as they had anticipated. Um, However, the cult following happened once, you know, there were more theatrical releases, more Mm. VHS releases, you know, and then kind of like how we were talking about Blade Runner. I know that that was a cult status really right away, but it was kind of similar. Yeah, almost instantly. Yeah, Yeah, um, but a a similar thing. I I just don't think it was as instant as Blade Runner. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's kind of fascinating. It's like... Because there are obviously a lot of similarities between this and, and Blade Runner, just in terms of yeah, you know, it's the, a cyberpunk the, thriller. The cyberpunk, the you know, like the the twenty nineteen actually. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and you know the uh, this feeling of like this dying world that that is in both, but and I I wonder like uh, if that kind of also made it so it's like harder to kind of uh, uh, connect with audiences in a way like you you have to really want to appreciate it a little more because it is you know like Blade Runner in a, in a certain way is uh it's kind of a bummer uh <laughs> as an total experience. bummer and like you know this one in particular that kind of ends uh, with a big question mark right it's like you know you hear the two precogs talking maybe at the end I'm not sure even who the hell from talking. somewhere from uh, yeah from somewhere and then you right they're kind of like zooming into what, you know, looks like the start of the Big Bang. You know, I, I know they, they mentioned that at one point, but like it's it's sort of this, uh, you know, concentration of energy type of thing. And it, it's like, is that the end of everything or, or what is it like? And then, you know, you just also think politically, like they have this like you know, military coup that happens in it. And, and like, you know, to prop up this, uh, you know, crazy and. Uh, messed up world that they were in. It does. It does happen in the mix of everything, though, right? You're talking about when the the general or the captain, when he basically yeah, yeah. says, yeah. "Screw you, government! I'm gonna go go get this kid, yeah. right? I'm gonna go get Tetsuo." And and you know they're sort of returning back to that world after Tokyo is kind of flooded. Uh, yeah. But they're you know heading back into essentially uh, this sort of coup territory whatever. right like, yeah you know it's interregnum in between you know perhaps another government i don't know it's not as though it seems like that's going anywhere right it's like because we did see all the resistance part of it get uh crushed and then not only did the sort of you know council of uh bureaucrats get crushed by the military as well it's like you know well now they're kind of <laughs> and the the sort of uh general or colonel or whatever his name was he got saved from the yeah uh, Tetsuo, you know, uh, all-encompassing glob monster. Um, and so I guess you know, <laughs> is he in charge? It's like <laughs> it, it's it's kind of a uh, yeah a, a bummer note uh, in in the ruins. Now this might have been a bit of a throwaway line, but they they did say that uh, that was potentially a bomb. Or Akira was the cause of what we thought was a bomb. I don't think that they were talking about Hiroshima. They weren't. They were, they were talking about the opening shot. Yeah. Where it was, you know, 1988 or whatever. And that's and, when... And, and, and when we see, like, it's like, you know, it's like, oh, uh, there's uh, dogs barking and there's like, you know, uh, a quiet morning. And then all of a sudden it blows up. Yeah, you're right. I, th- I think later on they talk about how that wasn't an atom bomb, but it was rather the sort of like... Yeah. Uh... I don't know, becoming of Akira. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, the way, the way that I took that was that it's very, um, it's a very X-Men type of story where there's gifted children that are kind of kept in a, in an area, you know, they've got certain skills and powers kind of like the precogs. Uh, it's more so like, um, Firestarter where <laughs> there's the, uh, secret government program uh to sort of uh and scanners in prison and and study these people yeah exactly scanners yeah exactly that that whole yeah uh i just felt i felt terrible for those kids you know like they they really put them in in the light of like you know they're they're being treated like shit and they're they're they could still blow up an entire world if they really wanted to they're just choosing not to yeah and and you see the um the ambitions the sort of naked ambitions of the scientists not necessarily for his career, but just, you know, of like, what can we discover from this? Um, and giving no, um, you know, I guess thought to, okay, well, would they A, be able to control it? Or B, you know, uh, what would this do to the person who's <laughs> who this is happening to, the Tetsuo character? Um, and that, that, you know, Dr. Uh, Onishi, I think his name was, tells tells the colonel like, no, 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 I'll... I'll We'll be able to figure it out. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And then, you know, it's getting out of control. And he's like, okay, can we put the stop to this? He's like, "Ah, I guess not at this point. (laughs) Too late. (laughs) Yeah. Whoops. He gets his, though. That that, that guy, I think he gets crushed in the middle of his laboratory, like obsessing over his work. So that that worked out well for the audience. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, minor victory. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like you said, it doesn't really end on like a great note. It's still pretty, pretty sad. And Tetsuo does not end up well at all Mm -hmm. and he doesn't really have anything terrible to do like he's not like a bad person by the beginning he's just kind of afflicted with this thing yeah and all of a sudden he is the the worst version of superman you could find yeah well he he gets sort of like you know exactly the like bullied uh and his, his whole life he's kind of the butt of every joke and everything like that and all of a sudden you know he's tortured into getting a lot of power uh, and, uh, well, what does he do with that power immediately? Just starts, you know, you know, blowing up, uh, uh, I don't know, the soldiers and whoever else are around him. And well, I think it starts with some of the bullies that are talking shit to him when he escapes and then it expands it into an entire, an entire city that he destroys. You know, it's yeah. like, you know, the, when does the power end? <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the craziest one, I think was the very first one where it's like, you know, there are people coming in to like wrangle him. And then you see the, oh, whole, the whole hallway just kind of blow up, and it's yeah. just like a gloop just starts coming down from the ceiling, and like, <laughs> like holy shit, that was awesome. Hey there, you can't leave your room without permission. Okay, you'll be all right. What's uh, going on? What here? is this? <laughs> but yeah, you you know you do end up kind of. Uh, feeling for him in a way because you know he's he's trapped inside that you know expanding you know gloop monster and he's like Grenada help and like you know you know you you you're also in that time also sort of seeing those you know, flashbacks to when they were kids and you're you're feeling bad for him in a way there too as well yep um, but yeah it it definitely doesn't have the uh, sort of even the possibility of hope the way that uh nausicaa has at the end yeah it's like you know the the world isn't fully repaired yet but it it seems like they're on path to to do that whereas in in akira it's like well i guess this (laughs) this one sort of uh you know uh, the big bang was was averted i guess and but the the sort of everyone's still left in sort of the ashes of uh of uh of neo tokyo or whatever it's called and now now it's like flooded and at least the, the world represented is uh not exactly a nice one no i i uh, not at all um and i think that this um encompasses what what chris was talking about on our philip k dick show about Mm. that high tech low life um (laughs) you know parallel between in 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 cyberpunk stories um and in this one it seems like there's the the uh, neo tokyo is just surrounded by biker gangs battling each other um racing each other killing each other uh, nothing is ever really like solved. It's no. just a bunch of gang wars, really. And it's like they've got this yeah. really cool tech, but no one's doing anything good with it. But but unlike maybe like the Warriors, uh, ah. where the gangs are all of adults, like these are kids, gangs of kids. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I saw it when I was a kid, 
they all seemed older than me, so I just figured they were adults or something. But like, uh, no, they're kids. Yeah, but, but they're kids. Uh, you know, and it's a little like Clockwork Orange, I guess, more like the book than right. the movie. But he was um, like a fifteen-year-old in the book, I believe. Right, exactly. So, and I think that's roughly the age of you know the Canada yeah. and, and, and the gang there. Speaking of Clockwork Orange, it really reminded me of when they were stepping outside of their uh, secondary or whatever last chance school or whatever they were in. Mm-hmm. In that little courtyard, it looked like the courtyard of the school looked like the courtyard that Alex's uh, home was in in Clockwork oh. Orange. Yeah. Oh, the like yeah, the apartment building. The uh... yeah, exactly. Yeah. But but the the courtyard part of it was, was like looked almost uh, the same. Only like the Akira one was a little more colorful, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> than the the dreary English version. It's nice that we're watching such a different smattering of movies, um, and and but but again, like these still have some of the similar themes that, of ones that we saw. So I guess that even if you know, a movie's animated and kind of in a different genre, so to speak, they still kind of fit within the genres that they're presenting. Like this is a cyberpunk thriller. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that Nausicaa is more of an adventure film, like a high fantasy Fantasy, uh, adventure film. And Golgo 13 really felt like a spy film, whether or not he had any sort of (laughs) redeeming fun factor, redeeming fun qualities about him. um, That's, you know, besides the point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I think um, Taika Waititi is right now developing uh, his version of Akira uh, for live action. Oh, so, really? Wow. Yeah, we'll see how that turns out. But there is... Um... The dancing Hitler in it? <laughs> yeah, I'm excited because I, I really liked what uh, Taika Waititi did with uh, What We Do in the Shadows. I think that that's a mm-hmm. great movie. I don't know if you've seen that one. I haven't. Uh, the friend of the show, Sam Kimbrell, recommended it years ago, and I, I never watched it. Oh, but, yeah, it's yeah. very good. Yeah, you should see it. But also, like, what he did with Thor, he actually made Thor fun. Uh, uh-huh. You know, all those movies were ne- never that fun, uh, at least the Thor ones. Uh-huh. Uh, but that was, like, one of the actual fun Marvel movies that didn't take itself seriously, you know, was comical all the way through. And yeah. it would be nice to, you know, have that kind of sensibility with someone bringing, like, a thing like Akira to, to life, even though... The subject matter might be a little depressing, but he might have fun with it. Who knows? Right. I, it does seem like a, a kind of a clash when you're, you know, listing off all of his uh, his resume there. It's like uh, most of those movies are pretty fun. Even the like Hitler Youth one was, you know, fairly on the fun side. Whereas you think of the the sort of tone that Akira sets, and mm-hmm. it's uh, it's definitely, you know. They they have little moments of levity in it, but it's not, it's not you wouldn't describe it as fun. Not not yeah, not the overarching story by any means. Yeah. Um, but and I was telling you this over text, you know, watching this and reading it, you miss a lot of the little details that they drew in visually because you're down there reading. And mm-hmm. when I would catch them, if you watch people in the background of Akira, it feels so alive. Um, as if like absolutely, yeah. Other people are in the scene with the main actor, and they make you know reactions to what's going on, or they like do like little hand signals and things like uh-huh. that that you'll catch. But they have you know they're not part of the scene really; they're just part of the the decoration or the set deck. Mm-hmm. But they feel like alive, and I thought that that was uh, really interesting. Um, and I thought that of the three, that one, in terms of like the emotion that was drawn in the faces and things like that. I thought that that one really nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that a lot of the detail work was really uh, fascinating in that one. I, I guess um, I did notice some of that stuff, even though I was, you know, obviously reading it. Um, uh, and I, I wonder if, if some of that detail is in Nausicaa as well that I, I wasn't able to, to see cause I was you know paying attention to all the, uh, you know, uh, all the text on the screen and, and then, you know, not being able to like, and then the main action and not being able to pay, pay attention to sort of the background action. But yeah, I, it's funny. I, I think I was, uh, when we were talking about Akira over text, I was telling you like, Oh man, I was kind of tempted to w- watch the sort of 1988, uh, you know, dubbed version of it. Mm-hmm. just for the, you know, nostalgia value, uh, where it's like, you know, it has the voice of Leonardo playing Canada, uh, from Ninja Turtles. Yeah. <laughs> and like, uh, it's, uh, that's right. The, the translation was, was it was really really different, apparently, because I I did put it put it on for a little bit just to see what it was like with yeah. the subtitles, and the the Blu-ray just to explain like it has 
you know, two English dubs, one 1988, one 2001, and then the original Japanese. Um, and I was playing the 1988 uh, while kind of looking at the subtitles. And, you know, the, the translation is like way, way different. But then if you put on the 2001 English version, you know, the, the subtitles and the, the, uh, the, the uh, dub are pretty similar. So did, were there new actors that did the stuff in the later uh, dub or did they yeah. keep the... Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, I probably saw this in, I would say, 90, Mm -hmm. maybe 92 or so. I was young. I was like, I was very young. I I probably shouldn't have been watching this, especially because emotionally this one affected me um, quite a bit, Um, especially, like I said, and I keep bringing it up, but Tetsuo, that some of the scenes of Tetsuo, you really feel for this kid because while he does all of a sudden have power that he never had growing up, you know, as a as a as a kid in an orphanage that had no parents, had no life, was always getting picked on. Like you said, he had one friend really in Canada, mm-hmm. and then this kid all of a sudden has more power. A friend who than... he resented because right, you know, he he was always the one who had he had, he had to be grateful to Canada for saving his bacon all the time, uh, right? And you know, it sort of built up resentment in him. And I I wonder, like, yeah, I I know I know what you're saying, and like, and then his his uh story about him uh you know gaining power and uh of course using it the wrong way and all this stuff i i wonder was that more so like this uh you know invader that's in him uh sort of taking him over or was that just supposed to be a commentary on the sort of corrupting nature of power it's a great question um, I would say that you could answer it either, like you said, the Akira power or whatever that power is, mm-hmm. was taking him over and making him bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I could probably look at it like um, the movie The Mask, where if you put on uh-huh. The Mask, it kind of inflates all of your like deep down re- repressed uh, emotions. Yeah. You and maybe to a Tex Avery cartoon. You see Cameron Diaz. <laughs> uh, the, uh, but Tetsuo, I think what you, what you said... Um, that he did resent Kaneda, did resent the fact that he was kind of always in Kaneda's shadow, if you will. Uh-huh. Uh, he never really like established himself as like a strong Tetsuo person his, on, his, on his own, but this was his attempt to do that. So maybe those repressed uh, feelings or that resentment kind of bubbled up as uh, just a really nasty son of a bitch for a while. And, yeah. you know, by the end, he goes back and asks Kaneda to help. And that's the scene I'm talking about is he kind of looks at Kaneda and is like, I can't control this anymore. You got to help me. And it's by then it was too late. And that, it really stuck with me. Totally. I, although I have to say like, as an adult, I, uh, the person I felt the worst for was the K character. Or, oh, I, terrible. I, th- th- there were two K's K E I and K A I. But yeah. the, the one who was sort of Tetsuo's girlfriend, uh, yeah. who, you know, gets beaten up by the clown, Oof. uh, gang. And then, you know, gets killed uh, with the Akira monster and all the, like, you know, madness that happens at the end there. But she was collateral damage. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she, there's not a whole lot to her character, but, you know, she also, it says a lot that she stuck around, yeah. uh, uh, you know, to, to meet up with this guy that she cared for. And so it's like, you know, she's like this, the movie's punching bag uh, every, yeah. every, time you, you, every time you see her. Shut up! I can handle this. No, totally, and and I think that that first um, whatever like assault from the clown guys were was cut out of the the TV version or whatever I end up seeing because I was it's like, a pretty nasty scene. I don't remember that 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 one like didn't uh, wasn't ringing any bells for me. I was like, what, what the hell am I looking at? No, there was a lot I didn't remember. I mean, I, I assume it's mostly because it ha- I haven't seen it in a long time, but I didn't remember that at all. Yeah. Quite quite a brutal film. I'm 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 interested to see what they can do, um, if it's like a major studio is going to produce this thing. What what they're going to allow? Because this movie pushes limits um, when it comes to to violence and, and grotesqueness yeah. on screen. More than that, I I think I wonder if it'll if they'll try to uh, square the circle with with the sort of ending there. And I I wonder if they kind of left the movie open. Was it were they planning on a sequel or something? So they wanted to like you know, not resolve everything. Uh, well, it, it does end with a big bang, right? I mean, like there is kind of, I, it, it seems like it, it might be something happening elsewhere, 
but you know it's like, like another like, dimension like, you mean the camera is like inside of the big bang at the very end before the credits roll mm-hmm. you know the last thing we see is like Canada, uh kai and then the um uh, i can't remember the revolutionary uh woman all three of them sort of like you know, driving their rickety beat up motorcycles back into neo tokyo then we hear some sort of disembodied voiceover i am tetsuo and then you know the, the screen starts to fade a little bit and then we're inside of what seems like this uh you know either nuclear explosion or big bang event or you know some sort of like uh heavenly space who knows but that disembodied voice was tetsuo though at the end and, well and someone else and he was like introducing he was saying i i'm tetsuo because he's talking to someone uh-huh. we don't see who that is or, or the conversation right doesn't he like in, say like i'm tetsuo i'm i'm this tetsuo shima but, and he, it's the same intro that he gives like earlier on in the movie uh-huh oh okay so i think what, what we were trying to get out of that was that he's now reached another plane of existence mm-hmm. you know like another dimension if you will and he's now kind of starting over but i think maybe he himself is starting a new timeline with that big bang you know what i mean like but on sure. another yeah, yeah. a realm of you know reality which is fucking sick <laughs> well it, yeah <laughs> but like but i i think it's like they that part of it you know makes it interesting to kind of puzzle over and and you know debate a little yeah. bit and and kind of unpack I, and i i wonder if you know part of the thing would be to like oh let's uh do this so that we don't have to have these ambiguities and we can uh have a you know crisp clean ending type of thing but yeah i I'm not sure what um, what will be brought to it in a live action, I guess, especially considering like most likely what they're going to end up doing is animating the shit out of it anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I was just going to bring that up. I mean, as live action as a movie like this is going to be, the quote unquote, live action. It's going to be yeah. computer computer animated, right? Yeah. <laughs> I hope you um, at least enjoyed, you know, a little intro to, to anime. Um, I hope mm-hmm. we can watch some more on the show. Yeah, totally. Uh, Tetsuo! Tetsuo! <laughs> no, it, it was great. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, I uh, would have never seen Nausicaa on my own, I think. And, uh, Me neither. Glad to uh, get introduced to that one. Uh, and it was, it was good revisiting uh, Akira for sure. Um, I'll, uh, that'll probably be my one and only time to watch Golgo. Uh, yeah, I noticed you didn't say anything about Golgo with all that those high praises. You know what? It's really hard to um, you know recommend a movie to someone. Like I think that that is probably one of the most dangerous things to do mm-hmm. if you are concerned about your feeling, your own feelings, because mm-hmm. you're like, well, oh, like, you, you feel you know, like all oh, it, it reflects you. Exactly. It's like you know, uh, oh, you're an idiot for picking this one. Yeah, exactly. Right. right, and that's why I wanted to bring up at the beginning. I'm like, I don't remember this being a soft core porn. Right. I don't remember that at all. You right. know, I remember the silver and gold fight when he starts bashing the girl's head, and then the the blood starts running down, uh-huh. and then you know, like all of these cool uh, sniper shots and like really neat like bullet wounds and things that were happening. Right. Roboto. That one, you know, <laughs> things like that, like. There was a lot that I remember that I really liked, and, and and watching it again, I really liked it again. I mean, stylistically, sick. You know, mm-hmm. it looks great, and they did a great job. But like all of those, um, you know, those interstitial sexual moments in between, where he's we still get no fucking uh, emotion from this guy at all. Like mm-hmm. I'm starting to crave more from a character, and I think that that's kind of why I, you know, was a little bit more disinterested in this one that I would have been as a kid. You know, I was kind of in it for more of the action and blood and all yeah, that. and and you know, um, I'm sure it's easier maybe when when you're a kid and those things don't necessarily make sense to you, like why it's satisfying that this movie, uh, you know, you, you feel mm. a certain way about a character in this movie or, or this way in the, about this movie, and not in another, and you know maybe it's also something where you have. If you're offered more of a blank canvas like that, you can, you know, project a lot more onto it in the sense that, like, oh, you know, I'm a kid. I'm gonna. How would I feel in this like badass situation? It'd be cool because I had to shoot this dude and be like, yeah, that's sick, and then uh, get laid. Awesome, yeah. And you know, it was it was that movie. It felt like watching someone else play a video game. It it kind of had that, that absolutely. Where it's like you know, it's it's uh, you know, the animation was interesting. And the mixed media was cool. The 
story was really thin. The character mm-hmm. was even thinner. And, mm-hmm. you know, f- for me, it was like, you know, because of those things, it, it's something I, you know, wouldn't be uh, fast to revisit. Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, in the other two movies, not only did they sort of look beautiful and everything like that, um, oh, Akira, we didn't even talk about the music. Like, the music was amazing Ugh. in that. Yeah. Um, but also, like, you know, there's uh, something to digest uh, sort of, you know, story-wise, thematically, and then, you know, character-wise. Yeah, speaking of the music, I, I guess I could go back real quick. Uh, Gogo 13 had the, um, I felt like it was the soundtrack from The Long Good Friday, or at least a deri- <laughs> derivative of it. Like, it was very close. <laughs> So it's interesting. I I had this impression in my mind that uh, anime kind of uh, you know came into its own or like a, you know became sort of a recognizable genre uh, in the eighties, um, and you know then you see its influence in other places, and then you know sort of through the nineties with a lot of the you know TV series and things that we'd get uh, mm-hmm. here, you know Dragon Ball or Sailor Moon or whatever. And do you know anything about uh, the, the history of that? It's like is it just that that's the American perspective on it, or was that also the, the way that it kind of flourished in Japan as well? No, so the 70s kind of brought about, um, so what happened was film was very popular, you know, in the 50s and 60s, and everyone was going to the movies. And then there was this big resurgence of television in, in the 70s, and a lot of those cool writers and animators that were creating, you know, theatrical works, they were going to, to television. And that's when the rise of Mecha happened, which was the animes that were based in big robots like Gundam and mm-hmm. Mobile Suit Gundam and Space Battleship Yamato, Tetsujin 28. Mm-hmm. Like all those different series were, you know, those were writers and creators that were once in, the, in, 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 in movies, but then moved back to TV. Kind of like what, what happened like here. Doing the mothras and mecha godzillas and, and that kind of thing and like and that kind of turned into so really what happened was you know star wars was like a super cool thing right so late 70s all of a sudden like space opera type things and space movies animated versions in japan were created all you know mostly oh, okay. based on the popularity of you know star wars and 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 science fiction films of the time you know mm-hmm. um so then those series started such as gundam um gundam it's came out I want to say in 75, still going today, very popular manga, oh. <laughs> like still selling the toys, still going now. Um, my boss at work actually just bought his kids their first Gundam because they're, they're big models to put together. Uh-huh. And, you know, that's a big thing for, uh, for, for kids growing up. So uh, I thought that was pretty cool to, to touch on that. But yeah, so that was the 70s. Um, and then the 1980s are when the big animation studios like Studio Ghibli uh, came about like Toei was still a thing however um, from Toei an animator Miyazaki Hayao Miyazaki came and he started Studio Ghibli with his partner Isao Takahata and so that was kind of the 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 big boom of you know these animation studios that were focused on theatrical releases and it's the 80s or when those things started um, and then also like I was saying, like even the ones like Akira box office right away, not that great. However, when it was re-released and then it was it came out on VHS, that's mm-hmm. when it started developing this larger cult following. Um, so really, the 80s brought about VHS. VHS brought about bigger distribution, hence bigger prop- popularity of these films. Yeah. Uh, so it's, you're not just relying on the theatrical. You could you could also you know discover them in video stores and whatever else. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Um, and then you can also discover your favorite hentai films too, if you really wanted to get into some of the uh, the animated if, porn. If you wanted to watch Golgo, tentacle porn, you could uh... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, I guess we did watch one. Never mind. That was my main purpose of putting Golgo in there was to to get a little bite of yeah. hentai in there. <laughs> well, all right, um, Jeremy. This was a lot of fun. I love going through anime films. I love anime. I think it's really exciting. Um, I'd love to to definitely you know watch some more on the show soon. Uh, maybe we'll watch some from a different era or maybe some more current ones, um, and then we can get into that some more. Totally. All right, next week we will be taking a look at three films that fall under a, a really cool category. Uh, Jeremy, subjective perspective. <laughs> Am, is that is that does that pretty much sum up what these three films kind of focus on? 
I think so. I I guess it's not a, an official genre or anything, but uh, these movies definitely uh, seem like they fit in one um, where there's what I say happened, what you say happened, and the truth. And uh, in this case, we don't actually get to the truth itself, right? It's only the perspectives that people offer. Yeah, sometimes possibly not ever, right? We, we never yeah. <laughs> really get the full story ever. Right, right. Those three films are uh, Citizen Kane from 1941, finally getting to see Citizen Kane, uh, Rashomon, Akira Kurosawa's 1950 film, and The Usual Suspects, Brian Singer's 1995 film. Um, of these three, I've only seen usual sus- the usual suspects, um, mm-hmm. but I'm really excited to see how they all relate because I, I just love that, how twisted that story is. I think Macquarie wrote that one, Christopher Macquarie. Yeah, yeah, Chris Macquarie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things where, you know, I think all of these are also sort of uh, famous in their way. So, you know, we've got another episode where... Three classics. Yeah. Some classics in there. Um, and then, you know, it'll be exciting to kind of, you know, dive into uh, to how these seemingly disparate movies are related. Cool. Looking forward to it. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Please make sure to subscribe and follow us on all the podcasts and social platforms at the Grindhouse Institute. And if you really want to give us a boost, check us out on Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. It helps us to get noticed. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll be back next week. Sayonara. Went to find Akira? That's what the strange one said. You and Roy and the army keep talking about this guy called Akira, and now you're chasing Tetsuo. It has something to do with his power. <laughs>